I was honored when uh, Pastor Brian called me. He actually called me on vacation uh, and felt bad about it. I didn't feel bad about it. I enjoyed the invitation. When he called and said, hey, I'm going to be gone on uh, on this Sunday and wondered if you would just come and preach. I do not get, I preach a lot. Um, and, and then sometimes I leave home and I go out and, and preach as well. Uh, but I don't, I, most of the time when I go to preach someplace, I have an agenda. There's something that I have to address, whether it's installing a pastor or, you know, there's a multitude of things. I love just coming and bringing the word. Do you love the word? Now, loving the word, it's kind of like loving our kids. I probably shouldn't say this since we're live streaming, but I don't know about you, but I love, we have three boys, David, Isaac, and Tim, and, and I love all of them the same. Most of the time. But there are times, can I just say this, there are times where it's not that you have a favorite because there are times where David's my favorite and there's a time where Isaac is my favorite and, and there's a time where Tim is my favorite. If you listen to Isaac and David, Tim is always my favorite. You know, he's the youngest. But there are times where there's just there's a special connection and, and there's just that special bond. It's the same thing with Scripture. I love all of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instructions in righteousness. I love the whole counsel of the Word of God. Old Testament and New Testament. But there have just been times in my life where certain passages, and we heard this this morning, thanks for sharing that that testimony, there are times where certain passages leap up at you and they just grab your heart and, and they become your favorites, at least for a season. The book of Philippians is one of my all-time favorites. If, uh, if I were still in pastoral ministry, I would probably be preaching series of messages on Philippians. It's only four chapters long, and yet, well, in my last assignment, I did a Bible study on Wednesday night on Philippians. It took us almost a year to get through four chapters. Because there's so much stuff there. One of the commentators that I was reading this week talked about Paul presents 10 different themes in the book as we know it as Philippians. But in his letter to the church in Philippi, he presents 10 themes. Now here's the good news for you. I am not going to try to address all 10 of those themes. Can I get an Amen. You can only imagine we'd be here till next Sunday. Pastor Brian would be coming up moving me so that we could start the service for uh, next week. But I do want to talk to you about three themes that come out of Philippians chapter 4. Now, chapter 4, there's, there's this, this switch that Paul is making. He's gone from, from presenting his ten themes. Now, now he's going to use chapter 4 to review those ten themes and say goodbye. 
You know, it's one of those letters where uh, before you ever get to the sincerely or in love or however you sign your correspondence, he's going to review all of it to make sure that the readers hear it clearly. If you've got your Bibles this morning, let me invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, and I want us to look at verses 2 through 9. Now, when I talk to Pastor Brian a week or so ago about this, I was going to focus in on just a couple of verses. But as I kind of dove into this passage, the larger portion, there was just too many things that I couldn't ignore. So we're going to look this morning at uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to begin in our reading at verse 2. Would you stand as we honor the reading of God's word? I plead with Eudodia and plead with Sentechi to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you loyal yoke fellows, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whenever you have, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word, for your truth. Lord, I pray that in these moments that you would hide your servant behind the shadow of the cross. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, but far more importantly, they would be empowered by your spirit to go forth and accomplish all that you desire. Father, have your way, and we will give you praise, for we ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks. You may be seated. So three themes that I want to I want to draw out of these passages, and they I want to say they build off of one another. They operate independently, and yet I think there's a reason why the Apostle Paul put these things in this order. Now, sometimes people will say to me, Dan, are you preaching to the church or are you preaching to the individual? Yes, is the answer. Because I want to make sure that we understand that, that, that the church is 
you and I, the church, are the individuals that make up that given body. And if there's ever going to be change in the church, it has to begin not with the pastor, not with the board secretary, not with, it has to begin with me. So let's look at this. This very first theme that, that jumps out is about unity. Look at verses 2 and 3. By the way, I am not quite clear why people chose weird names for their children in the Bible. We could use more Daves and Tims and Toms and all of those things. I looked at these names. I actually cheated. I have the Bible app on my phone. So yesterday while I was studying and writing and praying, I pulled up my Bible app and I had, I had it read this passage to me. Because I wanted to hear the names. How they said it. But the first thing that Paul does here in this passage is he's beginning to conclude, is he said, listen, these two ladies need some help. Because here's the theme, unity in the body of Christ is crucial. Now, let's be careful here. It's real easy to kind of go, well, if these ladies had their stuff together. Let me tell you something about, we don't know a lot about these ladies, but we know this. We know that they labored with Paul. They were crucial in the local church. They were leaders. By the way, those who say that women do not belong in leadership in the church need to read this passage. Just saying. But he calls these women to be unified because without it, the body cannot be unified. Now let's talk about unity for one second. I want to make sure I'm cleared. Unity is not all of us looking the same, acting the same, talking the same, thinking the same. It is all of us instead focused on one purpose. You realize that every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ has one purpose and one aim and one mission. Anybody want to guess what that is? What is it? To please God, yes. More specifically. To what? That's exactly right. To spread the good news of Jesus. You were born for a purpose. Thank you, Rick Warren. Okay? Purpose-driven church. More importantly, purpose-driven life. We were created. We've been redeemed for one purpose. Jesus said it this way. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And don't worry about it. I'll be with you. Because you can't do it without me. We have one mission, one purpose, one aim, one focus to see people who do not yet know Jesus in a personal way brought into a relationship with him. That's it. It's not hard to get unified around a simple purpose like that, is it? Is it? 
It shouldn't be. But it is. Because it's so easy to let some some other things creep in and get in our way. Understand that God has called us to unity. And in the church, we need to start majoring in that. I wrote this statement down. We major in the minors and minor in the majors. We have one goal, one aim, one mission, and that is to see men and women, boys and girls, come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I wish it weren't true. But the reality is, is there is disunity in the church today. And we've got to get back to one heart and one mind and one aim. COVID-19 has been difficult for everybody. Amen? I mean, let's just face it. It's created all sorts of disruption and havoc in our lives. Somebody said to me the other day, well, by February or March, we should be back to normal. (laughs) I love those positive thinkers. I don't know that it'll happen. Honestly, I pray we never go back to normal. I pray that as a church and as followers of Jesus that we've been reminded that there is but one mission to accomplish. And that is to see people come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to be unified. Paul says to these ladies, work it out. By the way, in, in case you've never heard this before, there's a biblical model on how to work disagreements out. You realize that disagreements are going to happen? Those of you that are married, I love young married couples. The the naivete that they go into marriage with, it's all going to be wonderful. It's all going to be great. We're never, ever going to fight. Couples who tell me that they've been married 50 years and never fought scare me. They really do. Because I want to say, what, what, are you talking to one another? I mean, really, sometimes all you have to do is look at one another and, it's, and there's tension. All right? Tension and disagreement is part of what life is all about. But in the church, in the church, love reigns supreme. Amen? By the way, this works better if you interact with me a little bit, all right? I'm I'm afraid Pastor Brian's gotten you a little bit uh, out of practice from the last time I was here. Oh, no, he doesn't? Okay. Um, The reality is, is that if I have a problem, all right, if I have a problem with my wife, why in the world would I go over to Denny and talk to Denny about my problem with my wife? And yet... That's what we do. I've seen it over and over and over again in the church. It's one of the downsides of being a district superintendent. People do not normally call me to tell me how wonderful things are. They call me or they write me or whatever to tell me about the difficulties. Periodically, I'll I'll get a phone call or an email from somebody and they'll say, My pastor! Blah, 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 blah. And I listen because that's what I'm there for. And then I always ask this question. So, 
Have you sat down and talked to your pastor about this issue? Well, no. Well, thanks for calling. When you talk to him, you can call me back. I, serious. I don't let it go beyond, unless it's very, very, very serious accusation, I don't let it go beyond that. If I have a problem with Deb, guess who I'm going to? Deb. If I have a problem with the pastor, I'm not going to go to their board. I'm going to go to the pastor. <laughs> I was thinking about that this week as I was writing this, and I, and I thought about my mother, who uh, had some very interesting ways to discipline us. I, uh, I grew up with two of four sisters. I had a twin sister, and then I had an older sister. She was two years older than my twin and I. And um, trying to think of how to put this nicely. Growing up with two sisters was not always easy. And sometimes, okay, more often than sometimes, we'd get into conflict. And, and, and you know what happens. You begin to yell and scream at one another, right? And, and then mom jumps in. Well, one day I'd gotten into it with my twin sister, and, uh, and, and we were going at it. Mom said, get on the couch, both of you. Okay. So we get on the couch. Darlene's at one end, and I'm at the other. No. Sit next to one another. Okay. So we're sitting next to one another, and then she says, Now hold hands! What? What? Hold hands. We sat on that couch and hold hands. We held hands for 30 minutes. I know. One of it, and we both survived. That's the amazing thing. What was she trying? Work it out! Listen, if there's, if there's disunity, if you're upset with somebody in the church, don't go tell Pastor Brian. Go tell the person you're in conflict with. Work it out. Work it out. Love one another. That's the challenge. I, I love, by the way, because... If that doesn't work, and, and you see Paul doing this in this passage, if that doesn't work, then you bring somebody else in. You bring a mediator in. Somebody who can help you. If, if you've got conflict with another parishioner, then you can call Pastor Brian and say, hey, listen, he's going to love me for telling you you could call him, by the way. Um, I, Pastor, we've got an issue, and, and we can't seem to work it out. Could you help us? So then you, you sit down with a mediator and you and you work it out you talk it out you love it out you know sorry about that um you don't tell everybody else in the church what's going on church i don't think i don't think it's an accident as the apostle paul is bringing all of this to, it, together in the in the concluding chapter i don't think it's an accident that he starts off with talking about the importance of unity We like to sing the songs. We are one in the bond of love. See, this is why they don't have me lead music. All right? We're bound together in love. And if that love for one another is not present, 
the church is never going to be what it needs to be because there's fractures and brokenness and God cannot flow in the midst of that. When God talks about healing, he's not just talking about physical. He's also talking about emotional and relational. We need to have unity. So he, so he calls these ladies and he calls the church to, to work it together. And now, <laughs> sometimes I wonder, what are you doing, Paul? So he's saying, listen, you guys, you need to get it together. You need to love one another. You need to be one in love, one in mission, one in aim. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. Look at what he says. He jumps right from the two ladies who are who are have this thing going on. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. If there's something in the church that we need more than unity, it is rejoicing. We've got to be enthusiastic. I'm not asking you this morning if you love Jesus. Because if you're in church on a Sunday morning, uh, you probably do. But how are you working with that relationship? Are you happy about that relationship? Another song. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I thought I was going to have to sing another chorus. Okay? We need to be people full of joy. We need to be excited about what God is doing. Are you excited about what God's doing in your life? You should be. God is at work. Your testimony about what God is doing, we heard a great testimony this morning. But it needs to be as fresh as the morning newspaper. If God is working in your life, there should be joy. Now, I get it. I, I understand that, that everybody has a different personality. And I'm probably, I'm an introvert, naturally. <laughs> way too many introverts, way too many pastors are introverts. All right? It takes everything. I am totally dependent upon God every single day because I'd rather just sit in my office with the door closed and not deal with people. Leave me alone. That's just who I am naturally. But because Jesus is in me, you, you realize that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you. And bubbles over and there should be joy. There are too many churches today that when you go to worship, worship is much more than the song, okay? When you go to worship, it's like a funeral. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Is there joy there, really? Is there really joy in that? Now, by the way, the Apostle Paul doesn't mention this as a suggestion. 
Okay? This is a mandate. This is not optional. We're all supposed to be able to rejoice. Not out of the flesh, but out of the Spirit. One commentator wrote this. I love this statement. In regards to the word rejoice, it is the present tense verb. And it signals that this is the continual attitude of the believer. That's what he's talking about. A continual, not a... Well, he goes on and he writes, Joy is not so much a spontaneous outburst of emotion as it is a life practice. I want to say, does your face reflect the joy that is in your heart? Way too often I want to say, I hope not. It's almost like we've been saved and sanctified and sucking on lemons. You know what I'm talking about? It's just kind of like... Again, where's the joy? There is an overwhelming need in the church today for us to have joy and for it to naturally flow out as we rejoice Note what Paul says next, by the way, in verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Can I paraphrase that for you? When people are looking at your life, are they seeing that there is joy in your relationship with Jesus? I'm not talking about happy, happy, happy. You, we all know people who are energizer bunnies. They just exude that. Sometimes I have to go back into my office and sit down and relax after being around those people. They just so consuming. But we're supposed to, maybe not as bubbly as some, but we need to have joy. When you sing the songs, by the way, you have a great worship team. Amen? Let's try that again. You have a great worship team. Amen? Amen? Amen. Alright? I love this worship team. But you got to sing with them. Okay? I love to hear people. Amen? Praise God! Hallelujah! <laughs> Some of you are more excited about the Pittsburgh Steelers than you are about Jesus. Let me just tell you, that's quite a leap. Okay? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm an enthusiastic football fan. We'll see how I am this year. But, um, I, man, football comes on. It's like plugging me in. And God's been challenging me about that. Are you that enthusiastic and that energetic when it comes to me? Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm not. By the way, when you're not, a good thing to do is to check your spiritual pulse. What's going on? How is my relationship with him? Am I spending time with him? Am I allowing his word to get into my heart? To change me? Christ is the source of our joy. And not just for us. 
but so that those around us, both those in the church and outside of the church, those in the church, but especially those outside of the church, will know that there's something different about us. That we have a joy, even in the midst of difficulties. I've done a lot of funerals in my time. I uh, worked closely with two funeral homes in my last assignment, and it was not unusual for me to have at least one funeral a week of unsaved love of, uh, of people who did not have a church, who did not have a pastor. So the funeral home would call me and they'd say, Hey, Dan, we've got someone. Could you do a funeral? I was like, Yeah, yeah, please. And I would spend time with that family, getting to know their loved one who had died, letting them know that, that I cared about their loss. I would love on them. I would, I would cry with them. I would, I would laugh with them. By the way, if you're ever around me in a funeral home, do not expect morbid. Do not expect sad. I'm about celebrating life because I know the giver of life. And my goal in dealing with these families is to help them understand that there's something beyond this grave. That there is a God that loves them, that cares about them, that wants to hold them and hug them and cry with them, but also laugh with them. We have to start getting out there. Who wants to go to a church where there is no joy? Some of you know my story. It was, uh, I grew up, my parents were not believers when we were growing up. I had a godly influence of my grandmother and my grandfather and and, uh, and and that influence would play out years later when I was in the military. And, and one of my students came to me and said, Hey, Sarge, you want to go to church? And I said, Sure. He said, Where do you want to go? Well, my grandmother was Church of Christ, non-instrumental. My grandfather was Nazarene. Right? By the way, they got along great. <laughs> if you know those two those two churches, that's a trick sometimes. But they they loved one another, right? So when this when this guy says to me, where do you want to go to church? I I chose to go to my grandmother's church. Now this is not a this is not a derogatory statement about Church of Christ non instrumental at all. Right? Because I've I've been to Church of Christ non instrumental and they are great churches and, and, and they really celebrate Jesus. But this church that we went to, oh, it was a dirge. I could not wait to get out of there. Everybody I encountered in the church, they were low on energy. There was no joy when they were singing the songs. There was no enthusiasm. It was, it was from their mouths, not from their hearts. I walked out of that church and I said, I don't want anything to do with that. This kid came back to me a week later and he goes, hey, you want to go to church again? I'm like, I'm not going back to that church. He said, it's okay, choose another one. So I chose to go 
to the Nazarene church. And again, I wish it were true of all churches, but it's not. But I remember walking in the door of that Nazarene church that Sunday. And there was this little gal. She stood about this tall. She was probably then in her 60s, maybe late 60s. And I remember as soon as I walked in that door, man, she was on me. Hey, good to see you. How you doing? I'm glad you're here. Thinking, who is this lady and who plugged her in? And she began to talk and we began to dialogue and I had... I had no idea that the course of my life would forever be altered because this woman knew the love of Jesus in such an intimate way. She felt it was her job. Imagine that. It was her job to share that love and that joy with other people. Just a P.S. on that story. Dev and I were back home in San Antonio a couple of years ago now. And um, she happened to live next door. She and her husband lived next door to my adopted um, spiritual mom and dad. And, and uh, I said to I said to mom, I said, I, I just want to go over next door and I want to go next door and I want to see him and I just want to thank him. And um, I remember mom said, okay, well, let me call and make sure that everything's okay. And so she did and we went over. And I had the joy of looking them in the eyes. T.A. and Nancy Littlefield were their names. Poor T.A., he was, he had been struggling with Alzheimer's for a little while. And I'm not sure he was able to make the connection, but Nancy was just so enthusiastic and thankful that, that we would take the time to come over and just see them. And I looked at those two and I said, I'm not just here to say hi. I'm here to say thank you. Your joy, your love, and your investment is why I do what I do today as a district superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene. And she was just so enthused. She and T.A. have both, in the last year or so, gone on to be with the Lord. What if Nancy hadn't been at that door? What if Lemon Sucking Lucy had been at the door? Hi, here's a bulletin. If you even get that, you realize that when we are joyful, when we rejoice, it's not just about us, it's about others. Lastly, and this is where I was going to focus most of my message. This was going to be the sole focus of my message. I love how the Apostle Paul here, he moves from this whole issue of unity 
and reminds them about the need to rejoice. And then, pick it up, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in all things, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We need unity. We need joy in that unity. But we need to make sure that other things aren't coming in and consuming us. Anybody experienced anxiousness in the last year? Yeah, thanks for those of you that are honest. The rest of you will be opening the altar at the end of the service. I mean, all of us, can I just tell you? We all get anxious. We all get unhinged, if you will, by the things that are going on around us. I said earlier, we're the parents of three boys. Those of you that have young children, enjoy these days. Because it's not the twos and the threes. It's not the 13, 14, and 15. It's when they get to be 21 and 22 and 25 that parenting really kicks in. You have to let go. You have to trust God. Paul's not talking about the that he's talking about anxiousness, anxiety that consumes us. All of us have anxious thoughts. All of us have anxious thoughts. Listen, I get woke up in the middle of the night sometimes with anxious thoughts. What am I going to do with this church? Who am I going to find a pastor this church? All of those kinds of things. But notice, do not be anxious about anything. But, in everything, let your request be made known unto God. By prayer and petition. Take it to the Lord. Greatest lesson I ever learned as a pastor. I was on staff in Duxbury, Massachusetts. My senior pastor, um, I said to him, I said, Steve, how do you do it, man? How do you sleep at night with everything going on? He said, Dan, it's very easy. He said, just before I put my head on my pillow, I say, Lord, you have a problem. Take care of it. I'll see you in the morning. (laughs) Clearly, the man had never been a district superintendent, okay? But the reality is that's solid advice, isn't it? See, when we have anxiety, when we're consumed with it, when we're consumed with the anxiety, what am I going to do? How am I going to do? Blah, blah, blah. You know what that is? That's a lack of trust. It's okay to feel the anxiety. But notice Paul immediately gives a solution. Pray about it. Take it to the Lord. Let him deal with it. It's not your problem. Now, don't, don't misquote me on that. It is your problem because you have to live it out. But God wants to give you an answer. I read this quote recently. I love it. A way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. That's pretty good. Wish I'd have thought of that. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. Do you think God understands about COVID-19? Yes. Yes, he does. And so we need to trust him. Do you think God knows about your finances? 
Oh, he does. We need to trust him. God knows all of your burdens, all of your cares, all of your concerns. It's about trusting in him. I want to remind you that prayer is not about changing the heart of God. Prayer is about changing us. Let me say that again. Because there's this huge misconception. I'm going to go to the Father and and He's going to change all of that. God never said He would change our circumstances. After owning a home for three years, I lived this out. And sometimes I didn't do it very well. There were times where Deb and I would be consumed with how are we going to sell that house? When are we going to get a buyer? How are we going to make a house payment? What about the utilities that are due? Can I just tell you this, by the way? Not once, not once did God fail us in that journey. Not once. We made every mortgage payment on time. We paid every utility bill on time. And God blessed beyond that. But there were days. There were days. Oh man, I'd wring my hands. I'd get on the phone with my accountability partner or anybody who would listen. God's just picking on me. He's done so much. Doesn't he understand what's going on? And almost always God would check me. Why am I allowing my anxiousness to disturb my testimony about my faith in God? And I began to where, even when I did that, I was like, but God has been faithful. God is going to continue to be faithful. By the way, hopefully you know we sold that house. We closed on that house. Hallelujah. I'm not sure why we at all had to wait so long, but can I tell you this? I know it helped me. When I talk about anxiousness, I get it. Paul's not talking about that anxious feeling. Paul's talking about becoming overwhelmed by that. And he says, when you get overwhelmed, lift it to the Lord in prayer. Anxiety? Oh, time to pray. Consumed by the... Time to pray. I know it sounds so simplistic. Lastly, notice this other thing about it. He says, going back to the passage, I have this memorizing King James, so I have to come back to the NIV too. Um, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Present your request to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will keep your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. By the way, the church gets really anxious about numbers and and finances and, and all of those things. And I get it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. He'll make your path straight. He will give you his peace that passes all understanding. He will give you his peace.
if you'll wait upon him. Church, look at the sequence. Unity, joy, and prayer. That's the solution. Struggling with something going on? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Invite your brothers and sisters to pray with you. I'm convinced the longer I'm a DS, it's been over three years now, the more I'm convinced of this. God has a plan for the church. God has a plan for this church. The plan is to bless you. The plan is not to harm you. It's to bless you. And he's already doing that. All you have to do is look at who your pastor is. That's a blessing. I hope he's not listening and doesn't look at this. He's one of the sharpest pastors around. And you're blessed. He's yours. And I know that he loves you. We talk periodically. I know his aim, his goal, his his joy is wrapped around God working in your lives, but also working through your life. If we'll keep this whole issue of of unity, working together, of having this joy in our hearts and letting it flow through our lives. And when the anxiety comes, we'll trust Him. God's going to bless in powerful ways. And not just the church. It's one of those moments where I just want to, I want to take you by the face and look into your eyes and say, you too. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you and you and you. God wants to bless all of you. We just have to be obedient to him. Amen? Let's stand and pray together, shall we? Father, thank you. It is not a mystery of what you desire from us. Father, the reality is is that uh, we're never going to earn what you give us. That's not how you do it. Father, you have given your grace freely. You give your strength freely. You bless your people over and over and over again. You are faithful even at times when we are faithless. But Lord, sometimes we come up against things. Sometimes things happen in our lives, happen in our churches. And Lord, we want to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us, Father, to be the people of God that you're calling us to be. Father, thank you again for this church. Thanks for Pastor Brian and his family. Thank you for the burden and the vision that you've placed upon his heart. Father, help us to be unified in that vision, moving as one, reaching our community. Father, help us to do that on our individual lives as well. 
as we go from this place, thank you. Your spirit goes with us. I pray that you would take all that has been spoken this morning. Lord, that you would cause it to come to mind. That you would continue to stir our hearts. Father, I pray that all that is of me would get blown away. But all that is of you would penetrate to the core of who we are. That by your spirit, we would be transformed more and more and more into the people you desire us for to be. Thank you for all that you have done, for all that you're doing, and all that you will do. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. And now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or imagine, go in his peace and his strength and his grace. And whatever you do, don't keep it to yourself. Tell others. God bless. Thank